Well, welcome to Ralph Moody's The Home Ranch, University of Nebraska Press, 1956. I'm going to be reading from Chapter 13. It's called Keeping Time with the Fiddler. Thank you, Father, that uh, I get to read this. And then we have the, the joy of sharing stories and words and and uh, hearing about the life of a, of a man who, when he was a boy, had adventures. And it's fun for us to hear and, and to consider. So I pray that uh, what is heard and received uh, helps us to uh, delight in what you've made on this earth, and especially in the lives of those who've come before us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 13. Sunday wasn't a regular working day on the home ranch, but the day when lots of odd jobs like separating cows and calves were done. As soon as he'd finished with Pinto, Mr. Bent sent me to call Ned while he called the dairy hands. Until cows and calves were separated, they belonged to the cow hands, but then they were turned over to the dairymen. Hazel and I had been bringing in about 15 cows a day, and they'd been put in they'd been put with their calves into a fenced pasture behind the dairy barn. As soon as we were saddled up, Ned and I brought a dozen or so cows and their calves into the cutting corral. On one side, gates opened into smaller corrals, and from these, runways led to the milking herd pasture and the calf sheds. It was our job to put each cow or calf through whichever gate the dairymen opened for it, and then we were done with them until they returned back to us as pasture cows or pasture calves or dry cows. When everything was ready and the dairymen were at their gates, Mr. Bent rode into the cutting corral on clay. Don't come in here. Don't come in for him till I get him plumb cut loose, he told us. Then turned Clay's head toward the cattle that were huddled tight in the far corner of the corral. No one watching them would have thought they had the least bit of interest in those cattle. Mr. Bent sat slouched in the saddle with the reins held rather loosely in his left hand. As the milking cows watched nervously, Clay walked toward them at a turtle's pace. I was watching every move, but could barely see Mr. Bent draw the reins one way or another to guide him. With all the cows and calves having to be separated, I expected Mr. Bent to take almost any animal on the outside of the herd, but he didn't do it. Step by slow step, Clay came to the edge of the huddle. The cattle didn't break away from the corner or seemed to be any more nervous than when he first started toward them. For a minute or two, I thought Mr. Bent hadn't made up his mind which animal he wanted to bring out. He seemed to be slowly stirring the herd around, as if it had been cold molasses and clay had been the spoon. When it had turned about halfway around, I noticed that Mrs. Tompkins, the slab-sided Holstein I named for our substitute teacher, was on the outside. Her black and white calf was close beside her, but toward the inside of the herd. At the moment I spotted them, Mr. Bent moved the reins just a trifle, let them drop loose, and took hold of the saddle horn with both hands. From there on, there was no question about which animal he and Clay were after. It was Mrs. Tompkins' calf. But how Clay knew it, I couldn't figure. He hadn't even been looking at the calf when Mr. Bent gave him a free rein, but he began edging his way toward it, inch by inch. I don't believe Mrs. Tompkins ever guessed what he was up to until he had her and her calf edged out three or four feet from the rest of the herd. Then it was too late. From being a turtle, Clay changed into a cat playing with a mouse. When Mrs. Tompkins tried to dodge past him, he dodged right with her to head her off. She whirled, 
and went the other way. But he was still between her and the herd. After two or three more tries, she threw her head up and stood, seeming to dare him, the way she had me when she first came out of the brush. Clay stood facing her, his weight on his hind legs and teetering on his front ones, ready to dodge whichever way she did. Watching Clay, I could almost feel him planning what to do next. Suddenly, he made a quick lunge forward. As Mrs. Tompkins sprang out of his way, he cut between her and her calf. Before she missed the calf, Clay had it against the corral fence and running toward us. I'd been so busy watching Clay that I forgot my part of the job. But Ned opened, um, but Ned spurred in behind Clay and ran the calf through the gate, ran the calf through the gateway that one of the dairymen had opened. The moment Ned took the calf, Clay became a turtle again and turned back slowly toward the herd. It wasn't until then that I realized I hadn't learned a thing about riding a cutting horse from watching Mr. Bent. From the moment he let the reins go loose, I hadn't seen him any more than if Clay had been a riderless. I was feeling pretty much ashamed of myself when I noticed that Mr. Bent had turned Clay toward me. Catch on, he asked, as he came alongside. No, sir, I said, I don't believe I learned a thing, except to go into the herd real slow and easy. If you picked that black and white calf yourself, I don't know how you let Clay know it. And after he started to crowd Mrs. Tompkins out, I forgot all about watching you. <laughs> Mrs. Who? Oh, I said, that's just a name Hazel and I put on that Holstein when we found her. How come that name? Well, I told him she held her head up and stared at Lady just the way she did at Clay and reminded me of a substitute teacher we had last spring. Better not tell Jenny that, he chuckled. She was a substitute school ma'am up to last winter. Now you pay heed... While we go in and get Mrs. Ms. Tompkins, you watch the horse work. Now take note what I'm doing. That time, I didn't watch Clay any more than I could help, but kept most of my attention on Mr. Bent. It helped, too, to know which animal he was after. Mrs. Tompkins was standing on, at the edge of the herd, bawling for her calf, when Mr. Bent turned Clay back to the cutting. As he moved slowly toward her, she stuck out her head and bellowed at him. When he'd covered half the distance, she turned and plowed back into the corner. Clay didn't change his creeping gait, and Mr. Bent didn't move, make a move of any kind. But I was pretty sure that Clay knew that, what cow he, they were after as well as I did. Again, he sort of drifted into the herd, mixed with it, and began to edge slowly toward Mrs. Tompkins. She had her head turned toward him, watching and jammed her way along the fence. If Mr. Bent made the slightest move or drew the rain lines either way, it was so little I couldn't see it, but Clay moved slowly to head her off. When she saw him coming, she whirled, dropped her head, and looked her way and looked and, and hooked her way in the other direction. It was then that I saw Mr. Bent make his first move, and I would have missed it if I hadn't been watching him like a coyote. He seemed to lean forward an inch or two in the saddle. Then he let the lines go loose, grabbed the horn, and Clay shouldered his way through the cows in front of him. Before Mrs. Tompkins was more than two lengths up the fence, Clay had her pin tight. His shoulder was even with her hip bone, and she could neither turn out nor whirl back. In her panic, she raced straight forward, and Clay followed her only until Ned and I were in position to take her through an open gateway. When I turned pinchback, uh, Mr. Bent was waiting for me. Wasn't nothing to that one, he said. Didn't give me no riding to do. Want I should bring out another one? I'd like it if you would, I told him. I think I learned something that time. Good. Which one you want me to fetch out? I started to say Mrs. Spivak, but caught myself and said, 
There's a big Durham in there with thick shoulders and a heavy brisket, and she's got a lively bull calf with a white face. I'd like to see you get the calf. Seen him, he said. He'll be a good one. Then he turned clay and started back at a slow creep. There was nothing much different from the first time until the Durham and her calf had been brought to the outside of the herd. But I did notice one thing. When Clay stirred the cows around in the corner, he managed to get fairly close to every one of them. And it was when his head was near the Durham that Mr. Bent drew the lines just a trifle toward her. Mrs. Spivak didn't try to dodge back into the herd, but lumbered away with her calf tight at her flank. Clay followed close alongside, and I had my eyes fixed on Mr. Bent, watching for the slightest signal. When it came, it was so slight and quick, I wasn't sure I'd really seen it. Quicker than I could think, Clay charged at the cow and turned her. The calf didn't turn quick enough, and in a split second, Clay was between him and his mother. Then the fun began. That calf of Mrs. Spivak's could run faster than a jackrabbit, turn quicker than a cottontail, and had the determination of a lion. Balling like a spoiled brat and with his tail stuck straight up, he was bound to get back to his mother and did more fancy ducking and dodging than a cork bobber when you've got a big trout on the line. Clay was out guessing him on every dodge, but I missed about half the fun because I had to keep my all my attention on Mr. Bent. He was all of six foot two and weighed over 200 pounds, but was always in perfect balance. Holding the horn with both hands, he seemed to be as loose as a sack of feathers, but anyone could see that his weight was always with the turn of, the, of his horse. After it was pretty well winded, Clay pinned Mrs. Bivak's calf against the, cat, against the fence and brought him up for Ned and me to take over. When I turned back from the gate, Mr. Bent had dismounted and was taking his saddle off Clay. Switch, switch horses, he called, if you don't mind me riding Pinch. Of course I don't mind, I told him as I rode up, but I'll never be able to ride Clay the way you can. A man never knows what he can do till he's tried his best, he told me. Since your saddle on tight, go fetch that calf's ma. She'll be an easy one for you. I'll never be sure whether I guided Clay to that big red cow or not. If I moved the lines, it wasn't more than an inch. And if I leaned her way in the saddle, it wasn't any farther. But Clay seemed to read my mind. His steps were as slow and sneaky as a cat's when it's creeping up on a bird. If he'd been moving in water, he'd barely have made a ripple. But each step took him closer to the red cow. When I was positive Clay knew which cow we were after, I let the reins fall loose and took the saddle horn in both hands. From there on, my only job was to keep from hindering him. With her calf already taken away, Mrs. Spivak was easy to cut from the herd. Clay pushed her straight out, and if she hadn't become confused, she'd have waddled straight to the gate where we'd driven out her calf. But when we were only started, another calf bawled from the herd. It was an awkward lunging turn Mrs. Spivak tried to dodge back. But Clay had cut, had her cut off before she was half around. My bottom slipped a bit in the saddle, and there was a pull in my arms. But I'd seen Clay's move coming and was able to keep my balance. Mrs. Spivak was one, made one more try to turn back, then trotted lumberingly toward the open gateway. As Ned came to meet her, he called out, What's this one's name? Mrs. Spivak, I told him. Mr. Bent, Ned, and all the dairy hands hooted and laughed as though I just told them a big joke. Betcha my life Hazel picked out that name, Benton hooted. Don't you boys never tell Pete about this or he'll drop the price of cream 10 cents a gallon. <laughs> I couldn't be sure whether the men were laughing at me because we'd named the cow or at the name we'd given her. But I wanted to get the subject changed, so I asked Mr. Bent, Did I do all right that time? Done all right at setting him on, but don't fight them stirrups so much on the turns. Go with the horse. I didn't know I'd use the stirrups at all, or I think, 
or think I'd slipped enough in the saddle that anybody could say I'd gone with the horse. Um, but, of course, I couldn't say so and asked, which one shall I bring out this time? There's a little Jersey in there, he told me. Try fetching her out and leaving the calf. I knew he was talking about the little cow I'd named Mrs. Hazlitt for my Sunday school teacher in Littleton. I was glad he'd picked me a gentle, easy one. Hazel and I hadn't had a bit of trouble with her, and she didn't try to sneak away and always stayed in the middle of the herd. That's where she was when I turned Clay back toward the corner. We went into the herd real carefully, but I didn't know just what to do when we got there. With the little jersey right in the middle, there was no use in starting the cows milling to get her on the outside. It just seemed better to move Clay in behind her and try pushing her straight out. But at the first step he took in her direction, she began wriggling away. I still wanted to keep behind her, but I was a little confused about how to do it. I didn't know I made a move in the saddle or with the lines, but I must have. Anyways, I got Clay confused too and had a hard time making him understand which cow we were after and that we wanted her and not the calf. By the time I was ready to let the reins loose, I didn't need anybody to tell me that Clay was peeved. He had his ears pinned back tight and shoved Mrs. Hazlitt roughly to the outside of the herd as if she were, as he were trying to show how much better he could do without any help from me. I thought I'd had plenty of trouble inside the herd, but when we got to the outside, I found it had just begun. Mrs. Hazlitt didn't turn, about, turn out to be any gentle Sunday school teacher kind of cow. As soon as she found she was outside the herd and that her calf was still in it, she went crazier than a cat with a salmon can on its head. She could duck, dodge, and whirl so fast I couldn't keep track of her. But Clay could outguess her at every turn, whirling, racing, doubling back, and side-slipping. He made his body into a fence between her and the herd and never once let his head turn away from her. With bucking horses, I'd learned to watch their heads and set myself to go whichever way the head turned. With Clay, there was nothing to go by. His head, his head swung back and forth to face the cow, and I could never guess which way the saddle would slip out from under me. All I could do was to hang on to the horn for dear life and hope I wouldn't fall off before Mr. Bent and Ned rode in to take that pesky cow out of the corral. In some way, I managed to stick, but was never squared in the saddle for two, for two seconds at a time. As soon as Mrs. Hazlitt was out through the gateway, I rode up to Mr. Benton and said, I guess I made a pretty bad mess of it. I thought I'd learned something from watching you, but... Got the cow, didn't you? he asked. No, sir, I said. Clay got her. All I did was, before I gave him his head, was get him mixed up. That's because you was rattled when you started out. Man lets himself get rattled. He's bound to rattle his horse. Next time, you size up what you want to do and stick to it. Tain't hard to set a horse's head once a man has got his own head set. I think I could do better on that part next time, I told him. But I don't know if I'll ever be able to ride Clay any good. I'm not quick enough at figuring out which way he's going to turn, and I came near being spilled three or four times. That's because you're working at it too hard, he said. Just leave yourself, follow her along easy, the way your best girl does when she's dancing with you. I haven't got a best girl, I told him, and I don't know how to dance. Maybe that's the trouble. Taint the girl that counts and taint the dancing. It's more like keeping time with the fiddler. Lose, lose, track, lose track of it and you're a goner. Stay with it and you can go you can't go wrong. Leastwise not less than you go to watching your own feet. Now you go back and fetch out that little Jersey's calf. He won't give you much trouble. Mrs. Hazlitt's calf didn't give me much trouble, and none of the other cows or calves gave me much as much as I expected. Except for making up my mind and sticking to it. I wasn't sure I was doing anything different from what I'd done before Mr. Bent talked to me. 
Right from that time, Clay began to understand which animal I wanted, and there was something to that keeping time with the fiddler. Of course, there wasn't any music, and there wasn't any measured time to Clay's moves, but once I'd found it, there was a rhythm my body would follow if I let it go loose enough. I still slipped around in the saddle a good deal, but only when I lost the rhythm and tried to guess what Clay was going to do next. When I brought up the last cow, Mr. Bent called out, That'll do, boys. That's enough for today. We'll work the rest of them off piecemeal during the week. Then he rode up beside me and said, real quietly, Betcha my life, you'll ride him. Betcha my life. Taint something you'll learn in an hour or a day. Nothing worth while to gets learnt easy. But you're commencing to get the hang of it. And that's what you're going to have to do. He's older than what you are, and he knows more about cow critters. He ain't going to learn new ways from you. You got to learn them from him. Yes, sir. I know it now, I said. But I've still got an awful lot of things to learn. Betcha my life. But you've got lots of years to learn them in. Don't go raring at them like that, as if tomorrow will be the, the day of judgment. Reckon we'd best get unsaddled and washed up for dinner. The folks will be getting home from church directly. All right, end of the chapter. Love you.